This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 157, and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest, Mr. Joe Gagney. Hi, Joe. Hi, John. How's it going? It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. What was your last episode? The guest always knows uh, better was than the, May. It was the 2018 <laughs> Ring of Honor Year in Review. I was supposed to be on the 2019 one, but my wife was hospitalized that day, oh, so I had to yeah. bow out at the last second, and uh, I John's like uh, Vince McMahon. Once you show weakness, he's done with you. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, the 2019 one. That was what it was supposed to be. AEW and Ring of Honor, I think. Right? It was AEW. Yes, you had yeah. uh, Sean Theater and um, Nate. So you were in uh, you're in fine hands. Yeah, I barely that that feels like you know appro- approximately ten years ago. So I barely remember it with everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. I... <laughs> Everything that's happened uh, here in fucking 2020. But, uh, of course, you're here for a five matches episode. We're continuing our tour around the VOW Podcast Network. Uh, we The way it worked out is I had both the quiz guys on this weekend. Uh, Rob Reed w- w- from the VOW Quiz Night. Uh, he and I were on the Patreon, uh, of course, which I'll do a more full plug for later. But that was uh, that just went up on Friday. And now we're recording with you, of course, the host of the five-star match game here on Sunday. A show I've been on before, I think once, right? Only once, I think? You were on once on the Dragon Gate episode, so if anyone is curious, uh, I forget the number, but... Um, yeah, it's been know, a like while. seven or eight, but yeah, just, yeah, it's been a while. You can look it up. And uh, Yes, it's a quiz show, uh, three contestants, kind of almost like... A, Almost like an NPR game show format. I have three guests, one specific topic. We run through a, a number of games at the end. It's all very fun. And uh, yes, John was a guest on Dragon Gate. He did. Uh, well, you have to you have to listen to yourself to find out how he did. Yeah. So you did. Um. So you, I mean, you do it about once every other month. I feel like, right? Is that about the schedule? Yeah, it's uh, every month and a half. Every I'm, I'll have one out before uh, SummerSlam coming up, so I'll be. It's like yeah, about every month and a half, every other month, thereabouts. The the last one on WWE 2010 was really funny, so I definitely recommend. Especially the last question that came down to was uh, I'm not going to spoil yes, it. Like, but... We will not no spoilers, but the very question at the end will. Uh... <laughs> Sean, the aforementioned Sean Cedar will be haunted by that for uh, for quite a while. Is all I'll say. Yeah, he was on last week, and he was. Uh... 
you know, he was still kind of like, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, that that episode was just disturbing to listen to because I was like, wow, I despite watching very little of this, I know way too much of the answers. I guess it's impossible to escape the WWE 2010s even when you don't watch it. So Yeah, even the really terrible things they do just kind of seep out into the consciousness of your average wrestling fan. So. Yeah, but uh, that was definitely an interesting episode. Uh, so yeah, so we're almost done with the podcast tour here. Uh, we only got after this one. We only have music of the mat and shake them ropes to go. So I assume those will be probably next month. I don't think we're going to do another five matches episode this month. But uh, you know, it's been fun. We've gotten hosts from all the different all the different episode or podcasts, and you know the ones with multiple hosts. We'll have to go back around and do again. But uh, you know, if they want to, for all I know, one of them is like, "Fuck you, John. I don't want to do Omakase." <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> but uh but yeah that's mm. that's kind of what we're doing here so we're almost done with that tour and i you know i just kind of wanted to both have people on to do stuff they don't normally do like the best example of that was obviously the wrestlenomics episode because like when does brandon thurston ever get to talk about just like wrestling matches he likes you know but um yeah, yeah it doesn't usually come up yeah, it's not really a going over uh, spreadsheets every week. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I guess what else has been going on? I I should get your opinion. Obviously, the big topic of the of the week here, and I got Rob's opinion on it is uh, Evil Gate. So, what did you think of Evil winning the double titles? Well, it was it was strange for me because the show was I think pretty early on a Sunday, okay, so it was it was up and on demand by like 6.30, which is when I got up. So I, I didn't watch it live. I was just kind of watching as I go along. And, you know, I was watching on my phone because it's still early in the morning. And, you know, you get those Twitter notifications like so-and-so posted, you know, X. And I saw something from our mutual friend, Alan Cunahan, said he's posted something about the Far East connection. And I actually sent him like, you know, I looked at it and it was a picture of Dick Togo and Gato. I was like, well, I sent him some Dick Togo matches from Osaka Pro, like we'll discuss later on. And why would he be posting about this? And then I'm watching and I see Bushi come out having packed on like 30 pounds i was like wait a second is that dick togo and it was and then i'm like wait a minute is evil gonna win and he did and i was just like oh and i was like i kind of like when like really crazy things happen in wrestling and everyone has to have an opinion on it feels like it's been a while since that's happened i don't really remember sure fucking does especially this year I mean, yeah. I think I, mean, I, I think like, it was just it was just nice to have an opinion about something other than will this wrestling promotion be able to <laughs> run ever again? You know, <laughs> will wrestling survive? It's yeah. not like you know. Ooh, I hope uh, <laughs> will Okabayashi lose the two AW title too soon? Was kind of the ongoing debate before that. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, and you know, it was is not a pick I expected. It's not one I probably would have made, but I'm willing to see where it goes. It's. I don't think it's going to do if it if it bombs it bombs it's I don't think it's going to kill the promotion overall they're trying something and they've had a very good track record so you know he'll probably makes it to January 4th and lo- probably loses it there and you know, we'll see how it goes see I don't you know, even think, not... I don't even think he's going to make it that far I I think it'll I think this is like a I think this is going to be a Naito 2016 reign where he has it for like 2 months but I don't know yeah, first IWGP title reigns tend to be short under Gato. If you look back at Naito, AJ Styles, even Okada all the way back, they were all they were just a couple months long. So that yeah. could very well happen. And even I mean, like January fourth isn't 
Jay White too. That far away, yeah. It's not like it's eleven months away. We'll have to see. Well, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm certainly I'm certainly curious how this works out. I'm, you know, this this could be bad. This could be good. We don't know yet. So we'll yeah, I, I I think some of the rhetoric seems a little overheated to me, and especially over what I think will be a short reign. Uh, you know, so I think that's a good thing to point out. Even if he makes it January 4th, like you said, it's not like that's that far away. Yeah. So, um, and I, I have a weird amount of confidence that Evil and Hiromu is going to be awesome next week, but I also just think Hiromu is like the best wrestler in the world right now. So, you know, yeah, that's a pretty pretty good opponent for a first yeah. title match with. And we're, we still have the G1 to go, which I presume is ongoing. There'll be tag league, like all kinds of things to kind of speed things up. And we'll be at January 4th before you know it. Yeah. So there you go. That that will let me transition into a little bit of a Patreon plug because next week, Sengoku Lord, the show, of course, Evil and Hiromu, we are going to do a same day, I, I can't quite call it instant reaction because it's going to be like probably that night, if anything, but same day reaction show uh, for Sengoku Lord. Um, I'm actually going to try to travel for the first time in like five months. So I'm finally going to go to New Jersey and see uh, my buddy Quinlan. And he and I are going to record, we're going to watch the show. And he and I are going to record uh, Sengoku Lord, like instant reaction or same day reaction for the Patreon. So if you want to hear my thoughts on Evil Hiromu and uh, Shingo and Desperado and everything else on Sengoku Lord same day, is at patreon.com slash wrestlingomikase. Uh, $5 a month, you'll get access to that. Uh, the Okada Tanahashi series that I just wrapped up this past weekend. Uh, you can listen to me talk all 14 matches. It's like 14 little bite-sized episodes. Uh, we, I cover not just those matches themselves, but also like what each wrestler was doing in between each match. So it's really like a journey through that whole period of New Japan. I think it turned out pretty well. So, you know, definitely check that out. Um, you get the Patreon exclusive full episodes, the one I mentioned that we just did with Rob, um, Rich Krejci from the VOW flagship, uh, Alan Cudahan, who you just mentioned before, and Nate from Everything Elite, who you also mentioned before, actually. So we have uh, Patreon exclusive five matches episodes. If you've missed these five matches episodes, because this is the first one on the free feed in a few weeks, uh, you know we did. There's four more waiting for you on the Patreon. Uh, you know the one we just did with Rob. We covered Nakamura Sakuraba uh, from 2013, Russell Kingdom 7. That match is awesome. Uh, we covered Reigns against Daniel Bryan from 2015. A uh, bunch of other stuff. And the one with Nate, we covered the uh, Omega Page versus Young Bucks match. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that from this year, it's over at the Patreon. Uh, we also have Anime Omikaze. Nicole and I uh, talk about different anime series and movies. We just recorded another one. So we have three up and a fourth one going up soon. Uh, we've done Studio Ghibli movies, uh, a couple TV shows, High Score Girl Season 1, and uh, Haven't You Heard on Sakamoto. So if you like anime, definitely check that out. Um, yeah, so all sorts of stuff on there. More stuff coming soon. Uh, I think I, you know, I under-promise and over-deliver is always my uh, philosophy with the with the Patreon so far. You know, the if you look at the minimums on there that I put when you sign up, you know, we've been way overshooting them on you know, almost all categories. So $5 a month, patreon.com slash wrestling omikaze. Definitely check that out if you haven't checked it out yet. Uh, okay, so let's get into these matches here. Uh, your first pick, of course, was Super Delphin, Super Demikin, and Subasa against Black Buffalo, 
Dio Kuala. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Q. It's, it doesn't even make any sense from like a Japanese standpoint. <laughs> like there's I would say Qualt. Dio Qualt. Qualt. I'm guessing. Yeah. Because like I, there, there is like okay, there is no Q in Japanese. Uh, there is no LLT like that, that. These sounds do not exist. So I don't know what he's doing. And Dick Togo, <laughs> Dick Togo, who go. is you know pretty uh, in the news lately. Now you picked this before he came back. I have to say that. So that is like amazing. That was like almost like pressing. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I sent this Saturday night to you, and then Sunday morning I was like, well, this got a, little, a, little, a hair more relevant than it than it was. Yeah, I, I don't know if I will Dick Togo back into mainstream wrestling or not, but I'll take the credit for it. Uh, yeah, so I've I've watched almost no Osaka Pro, so I hope you can explain any history or significance here. I know that you're you're like an Osaka Pro guy, obviously. So, uh, what's going on here? What are these guys doing? Yeah, this was uh, this Fed was my jam back in the day, and there's so little of it online. You can't go back and point people to say this. I actually uploaded this myself. I found an old DVD of uh. Dick Togo and Osaka Pro matches, which led to my wife asking why I had a Dick to Go DVD laying on the uh, bedroom <laughs> stand. That's awesome. Yeah, I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, no, it's about Japanese wrestling, which I don't know if that made it a lot better or not. But uh, no, I uploaded this myself. I just had a bunch of. Uh, I always thought Dick Togo was incredible in Osaka Pro. He had a very short run there, post WWE, and I just. Uploaded a bunch, and I asked Alan. Alan's like, I like this match. So I'm like, yeah, well, we can use this as a kind of a springboard into uh, a little bit more Osaka Pro discussion here. Uh, so the wrestlers here, Delphin, I think, is pretty well known. He was the founder, uh, ex-Michinoku Pro guy. He's still kicking. I didn't even know that until I looked up on Cage Match. Yeah, he's in, uh, like, Seafood Pro Wrestling now. That's what he runs. Yeah. That's his uh, his deal. But, yeah, he's still out there. Uh, Super Demikin, probably better known today as Hub. Uh, apparently Ricky Stark's favorite wrestler, according to Joe Lanza. <laughs> yeah, that was, he went through like uh, a bunch of, uh, he was Super Demikin here. He became Super Dolphin later on, which I guess was like, and then he turned heel against Dolphin, became a zero. Jumped to Okinawa Pro and uh, I forget, that's where he pretty much picked up the the Hub gimmick with uh, the snake and all that. He had a different name and then he became Hub after he left and he's bounced around since then. Uh, is still kicking in the Osaka area under that name. Uh, I've seen him pop up on DDT shows in Osaka occasionally, so I've seen him fairly recently. Yeah, he's he's the Osaka Pro Champion right now. Is however that the Federation is still kind of in existence, but nothing ever comes of it. No, no footage ever pops up for whatever reason. Yeah, it's a, that's like the Gamma version, right? The the current Osaka. Yeah, the the one Gamma runs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Black Buffalo also still around uh, in Osaka under that name, according to Cage Match. I don't think I've seen him in forever. He hasn't seemed to pop up in DET or anything, but he's still kicking. No, he had, he had like some notable match a couple years back. Everyone, I forget what it was for. It might have been like Freedoms, maybe? I, I don't remember. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, this guy's really good, and he just kind of never got a big chance anywhere. He, he just never makes tape probably is the problem. No. Um, Dio is the one guy here who appears to be inactive. Uh, his last match, according to Cage Match, was way back in yeah, 2005. Yeah, I think he called it a career. Uh... Yeah, 2005. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he called it quits not too long after that. Uh, and Dick Togo, of course, still very active, as New Japan pro wrestling fans can tell you. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, this <laughs> he's literally been in every federation in Japan. So I, I think I think with Noah this year, I think he hit him. He hit for the cycle, so to speak. But yeah, he's been everywhere. Uh, the one thing I want to say about Dio is he's wearing a mask, right? That's that's a mask. I don't. I thought he just had his face painted up because it, like, it looks distressing. It looks distressingly like blackface. Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah he's 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 dressed like if Kane did a blackface gimmick is kind of how he's dressed. Yeah, I think it might be a mask though. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna hope it's a mask. Yeah, it, it didn't seem to rub off or anything, so let's hope for it. Yeah, uh, Dick Togo comes out wearing a shirt that says "quote Dick World." <laughs> yes, Dick World and LOV on the back for Legion of Violence, which was his uh, his stable, which is the the best name of all any yes. possible stable. LOV, uh, the heels attack at the bell, of course, and there's a big brawl over ringside. I think that's like in the Lutarasu contract, basically that you have to do that. Yep. Uh, Dio, like I said, I, th- I thought he was wearing a mask. Might be back, might be blackface. Uh, the heels triple team Delphin for a while. Uh, Buffalo hits a doomsday device on him, which is like, you know, I I guess the Legion of or whatever, like taking that very seriously. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they feel obligated. If you have Legion in your name, you have to uh, to use that move. Uh, the heat segment really goes on kind of a long time, uh, maybe a little too long. But I did like Delphin at one point doing a flare flop out of the corner after taking a charge. It's like, okay. Yeah, all the Rudo's uh, offense looked pretty nasty at points. Like, um, Buffalo hits, like, this nasty leg drop. Well, Delphin's draped over the bottom rope. And they did this kind of wacky spot where I think it was Colt holds its foot up and the other two pushed Delphin into it. It looked pretty, it looked pretty rough. So I, I appreciate some, some tough-looking offense there. Yeah. Uh, Black Buffalo comes back with a... Oh, Delphin finally gets a hot tag. And, you know, they both run wild. I do... So now I'm going to admit, which one is which? I don't... The shirtless one is Subasa. Shirtless one was Subasa. Okay, was, that's what I thought. But I red was uh, Demican. Wasn't 100% sure. So they both run wild anyway. Black Buffalo comes back with this nice jumping lariat on, uh, the... On Mr. The Future Hub. I guess I could just say. But uh, Subasa quickly comes back with a springboard dropkick, another one off the top, and then a German suplex hold for a close near fall. But possibly Blackface makes the save. Uh, <laughs> Dow hits a huge choke slam on Delphin, like a gigantic choke slam. And Togo hits a pedigree on Hub, and then goes up top for his signature senton. He gets great fucking height on it, uh, but Delphin dives in to make the save. Uh,. There is like it looks like some kind of botch with uh, Subasa and Dao when they're at the ropes when he's countering like a choke slam attempt on the apron. So I had to take points off for that, but you know at least it's it's brief. I guess it's not that big a deal. Uh, and then Buffalo accidentally hits Togo, and then Delphin finishes him with a German suplex hold with a pin. I would say this was a good but not great match. I enjoyed the fast pace, uh, but the heat segment on Delphin went a little long for my taste. I would go like three and a half yeah and about three and three quarters it's the kind of match they had a lot and could, could do in their sleep something i really appreciated was like all the good guys were like very colorful and all the bad guys were like ugly and had <laughs> wear dark colors and dick just, world yeah dick world and uh, a <laughs> dick world shirt like you know anyone can kind of figure out like who's who, who's who in this match in the, in the you know who's good and who's bad which i always appreciate and this match went 1340 and it felt like it went longer but that's i don't mean that in a bad way i just felt like they packed a lot of stuff in here 
even the extended heat segment. But uh, yeah, just kind of the 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 fun match Osaka Pro could throw out back in the day. So how how long does this uh, Legion of Violence last? Do you know, uh, a bit into two thousand, I want to say, because Togo's back to Michinoku Pro. It's not very long lived, unfortunately. Yeah, because it's it's you know it's a good hook for the Fed. Like oh here all the the main bad guys and you know the home team fights them and it's a good setup for multi man tags. Yeah. So Dick Togo, like you said, goes back to Michinoku Pro, and then I guess just kicks around there for a while. I'm trying to remember what he does after Michinoku Pro. Maybe he just goes off on his own at that point? I don't remember. Yeah, he's a real-world traveler, so keeping track of his uh, (laughs) escapades can be a little tricky. Uh, I mean, I I know he has a DDT run in there somewhere in the odds, I think. Yeah, Um, I think that's probably where he... He had it next. He's in the Italian four horse. Yeah, so I forget, I forget his name, but it was something Francesco like Togo. Francesco Togo, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Francesco Togo. Uh, but yeah, so that was a fun match. Definitely worth checking out if you want to get a feel for what uh, you know Osaka Pro was bringing to the table in the early two thousands. I think most people, especially online, who don't know a lot about them probably know them best for like the clowns on the comedy and stuff but like you know they had plenty of non-comedy too very similar yeah to no, similar to ton of guys uh yeah a ton of guys came, like if you remember magnitude kishiwada he jumped over there he's big boss magma like gamma was there before he jumped to dragon gate and if you, you kind of extended over to okinawa pro like a bunch of guys that's where like keno got started as he had like this weird boxing gimmick in okinawa pro and that's where black mental ray got started too so oh yeah it has a weird through line. Also, Mill Mongoose, but he, I don't think he ever did all that much, sadly. Uh, all right, so let's go to match number two, which is Kenta Kobashi versus Yuji Nagata from Pro Wrestling Noah, September 12th, 2003. Uh, this is the fourth defense of Kobashi's legendary reign that started back in March. Uh, this was obviously my first pick, by the way. Uh, he would go on to have 13 defenses and hold it all the way until March 2005. So we're really just getting started here with the reign. Now, uh, since you are, of course, the host of the five-star match game, I did something similar to what I did with Rob, which is I prepared a couple questions for you, Rob. Or, uh, <laughs> Joe, I am turning the tables on the quiz master. Oh, no. Here. So, uh, counting the match where he won and lost the title, how many took place in the Nippon Budokan? It's X out of 15, because remember, 13 defenses, the match where he won the right. title and lost the title. How many of those 15 took place in the Nippon Budokan. This one's obviously one of them, so you got one right there. Yep. I got one right there. I got to name opponents here? No, no, no. Just give me, All right. if you know a number, just try to guess the number. Uh, I'm trying to think. The only one... He had the dome defense against Akiyama, so that's out. And... I want to say... I'm sure he had something in some small arena. I'll say all the rest were. No, that's really not even close, actually. Right. <laughs> so, eight, 8 out of 15 were in the Nippon oh, Budokan. So, the other question I was going to ask you is, so the other 7 were in 6 buildings, and oh, I wanted geez. to see if you could name the 6 buildings. You named one of them. You named the Tokyo Dome. Yep, I got the Dome. Uh, now, the start. Tokyo Dome is the, the one where he actually had two defenses, because uh, he also defended against Masahiro Chono in New Japan. That was defense 2. So defense oh, two right. against Masachiro. Oh, that's right. Japan. Oh, yeah. yeah. When, uh, and defense the New Japan show. Forget yeah. about that. And defense nine against Akiyama. So those are those, that's one building, two defenses. So there's five more buildings. Can you name any of them? 
Uh, I'll just say it was Osaka Joe Hall, one of them. No. Although right city. No, All right. Uh, I'm trying to think of buildings in Osaka. I always have to <laughs> I do a lot of heavy editing on my show as people kind of um and ah <laughs> their way through answers. So I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to subject your fine listeners to the same. Um, I'm trying try to remember. All I know is like, oh, is that building with the, you know, that looks nice or things like that. I'm trying to remember. Do you want me to give it to you? Yeah, sure. Uh, the Osaka Prefectural Gym. Uh, against, Prefectural Gymnasium. Yeah, the, also now called the Ilion Arena. He defended against Akitoshi, Akitoshi Saito, defense number 11. So there's four more buildings. All right. Uh, let me think here. I will give you a hint. One of the four is another Tokyo building. The other three are not. All right. Um, Let's see. Um, Was the the Bunka Gymnasium one of them? Yes, Yokohama Bunka Gym was defense number 12 against Mike Awesome, the Gladiator. All right, and um, let's see. I'm really blanking for good-sized buildings here. Um, did you do it in Kobe? Yes, Kobe World Hall okay. against Takuma Sano, defense number six. So you got one building in Tokyo and one building outside of Tokyo left. Ugh. All right, so I won't punish the listeners anymore. I will acquiesce and just... Okay, uh, so the Tokyo, the Tokyo building was the Ariake Coliseum, which is like uh, third number two building in Tokyo, where he defended against Tomo and Honda, the very first defense. Uh, and the other building was the Nagoya Confer- International Conference Center, defense number three against Bison Smith. So there you go. Those are the other buildings. Well, that's, that's why I host a show. <laughs> You didn't do that bad. I mean, uh, the Nagoya Conference Center—that's such a—it's such a weird building. I, I went there yeah, for like, uh, for Big Japan Death Mania, and it's basically like a fucking convention center. Like you walk into it, and you're just like, "This does not look like a wrestling arena at all." Sure. Yeah, and like there's like this big statue of the of a globe, I guess because it's an international conference center. But it's like, ah, I'm here to see, I'm here to see death matches. With this giant statue of a globe yeah. here in the lobby, it looks very weird. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. That's the only time I'm gonna quiz you on the show, Joe. Don't worry. So, but I had to figure we had to do it at least once for the given the theme. Mm. Uh, so this was, of course, a big interpromotional battle. Uh, Noah fans were very familiar with Nagata already, though, from uh, his times both teaming with and fighting Junakiyama in recent years. So. Uh, you know, he he had been around Noah, or he'd been, he'd been in Noah for that one tag match, uh, the one where, like, Kobashi was coming back, sort of, but still had to miss another six months, um, you know, after that match. Mm-hmm. And then they also obviously did the another tag match in New Japan, and then uh, Akiyama and Nagata main evented that one dome, where the rumor is that, like, they, Noah was going to let Nagata go over if he had won his shoot fight against Crow Cop right before, but, uh, of course, he did not do that. So, no, he did not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you can see a young and very wacky-haired Hiroshi Tanahashi in Nagata's corner, uh, along with youngsters Toriano and Ryusuke Taguchi. I thought that was funny. 
But uh, and then Nagata, of course, as you'd expect, gets a very negative reaction, uh, die booing, as they would call it, which you would expect since he's the outsider. Uh, Kobashi, speaking of youngsters, has a young Kenta in his corner, uh, along with Tomo and Honda we just mentioned, and we get a huge Kobashi chant before anything even happens. Um, so the best way to describe this match, I guess, it can be a little slow early on. Uh, it was slower early than I remembered. Like, you know, it kind of starts with, like, a lockup, and, you know, Nagata, there is a great moment very early where Nagata backs Kobashi into the ropes and then just slaps him in the fucking face, and Kobashi gives Yuji a look that's like, okay, asshole, and the whole crowd stops booing and just goes, oh... Because they know this man is dead, basically. And I just think, like, it's like, when's the last time you've seen a crowd, like, react to a look, you know? I mean, that's the kind of power Kenta Kobashi had over Noah fans at this point. Um, you know, Kobashi then does, like, back Nagata in the corner and just, like, start alternating slaps to the face and chops. And then both guys end up face-to-face in the middle, uh, just start shoving each other like raging bulls. Um... But then we get, like, this knuckle lock and a long test of strength. It leads to a brief strike exchange. And then Kobashi gets a big delayed suplex. And then we go into a long headlock spot for Kobashi that, to be honest, is a little boring. Uh, It would help if the headlock itself looked better. But Kobashi seems to have it, like, weirdly halfway on. Uh, Not his best headlock. I don't know what was going on there. Uh, And it just leads to Nagata backing him in the ropes for a rope break. When I thought maybe for a second it looked like Nagata was going to backdrop him to get out of it, which would have been awesome. But, uh, you know, it's gonna they're going to get there, I guess. We get the five-minute call, uh, and we get, like, a little mat wrestling sequence with neither guy able to get an advantage. So I don't, I don't know the last time you had seen this match, but was the early portion also a little more underwhelming than you remembered? A little bit. Like, I had this match on VHS tape back in the day because that's how we had to roll back in uh, 2003. And, um, yeah, it, it was a little bit slow, but... Kobashi had such mastery of the crowd, I, I didn't really mind it. Because there's like a headstand spot, like whatever. But the crowd just absolutely loses their mind for it. So if they want to take it slow and kind of milk that for all it's worth, I don't have a huge problem with it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, there's a great spot where Nagata tries a leg kick. And Kobashi just says, fuck off, and screams right in his face. It's so <laughs> great. Like, he could do this shit that like nobody else could do now. Where like he could just yell or look. And get like a like a huge crowd reaction because, like you said, that's the kind of power he had over Noah fans at this point. Uh, there, the guy gets like some massive fucking heat a bit later for refusing to break a cross arm breaker with Kobashi in the ropes. Uh, you know that's just not the, the fans are not gonna give him any leeway. Uh, Kobashi comes back with the, the machine gun co- chops in the corner and the roaring chop. Uh, Nagata manages to get the cross arm breaker back on, but Kobashi makes the rope again. And then the head drops start. <laughs> so Kobashi suddenly catches Nagata going for an elbow and like hits him with this half Nelson suplex. Nagata no sells it, hits an exploder. Kobashi also no sells, so Nagata just hits him with a running boot when he gets back up. But then Kobashi fires back with this like I don't know what it would be called, like a falling lariat or something? Inverted bulldog? I don't know. It looks cool, whatever it is. But yeah, it was kind of like a diving, clothes like kind of like a diving clothesline kind of thing. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so Kobashi, you know, as usual for him, does a great job selling the arm after Nagata had worked on it. He does like a roaring chop, but he holds his right arm in pain. Uh, Nagata hits like another vicious boot, then an exploder, 
Uh, and Kobashi does this great thing where, like, people people miss the point sometimes of the quote-unquote no-sell. Like, just getting back up doesn't necessarily mean you're completely no-selling it. I mean, he tries to get right back up uh, to, quote, no-sell it, but, like, it slows him down. Like, he, like, hunches over, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to fight through it, but I can't. I can't actually just uh, shrug it off. And then Nagata takes that opportunity to fire up with these knee strikes to put him back down again, which is great. Like, you know, him being hunched over just kind of played right into the, uh, you know, into what Nagata was doing. And then he drops him right on his damn head with a backdrop. Uh, like, Jesus Christ, the head drops in this match. Um, you know, like, if people think there's a lot of head drops in New Japan now, they should watch these lower matches because there were even more. Uh, Nagata, he crawls over and covers, but Kobashi kicks out too. Uh, Nagata transitions right into the Nagata Lock 2. That's one little flaw of the match. It's not really either guy's fault, but, like, Nagata's offense is so heavily submission-based, but despite their early attempts to get them over in Noah with, like, the guillotine from Akiyama and stuff, like, they gave up, and, like, these submissions really are not that over in Noah. So, and just no one in this building thinks Kenta Kobashi is going to tap out. So it limits the heat you can have for these spots that probably... Uh, would have been a little better in front of like a New Japan crowd from this period. Uh, Nagata transitions it and Nagata Lock 3, and the crowd does finally at least react and do a Kobashi chant uh, after they were kind of quiet before that. But Kobashi gets his leg on the rope to break. Uh, Nagata kicks the crap out of Kobashi in the corner, including one last kick when he's leaning over that's just like, gets him square in the fucking face. Uh, Kobashi counters a backdrop attempt with the mid-air crossbody, uh, hits another half-Nelson suplex, and both guys are down again. Um, Kobashi comes back with a really sick powerbomb in the corner, just, like, snaps his head right on that top rope. And then another half-Nelson suplex for two. He hits yet another half-Nelson suplex, and then a sleeper suplex, but Nagata gets his foot in the bottom rope. Uh, you know, great. I, I don't think we have... we. I don't know if this is my, just my critique or what. There's not enough rope break, uh, like, you know, near falls anymore. Do you feel the same way, being another, like, long-time viewer? I feel like we don't get enough of them anymore. Yeah, you don't really see them as much. It's You know, it can be very effective, but not... Uh... No, I suppose I haven't really thought about it, but I suppose you're right. I mean, that there has been a downward trend. Yeah, it's just there's such great, like, little near falls because it's like... It's some t- sometimes even more stunning than the kickout because the camera might just miss it or like you know I don't know it's just a very different kind of kickout because you're used to seeing all I mean a very different kind of near fall because you're very used to see kickouts so we need to bring back uh, rope breaks everybody uh, Kobashi you know they they basically end up on the top rope uh, Nagata struggles and finally succeeds in hitting a top rope exploder but Kobashi kicks out too. Uh, Nagata starts trying to take Kobashi down with repeated enzigiris. That rules because that's basically like the official New Japan Pro Wrestling move since it was obviously Antonio Noki's finisher or one of them. So uh, that almost has like extra symbolism here and like an interpromotional match. So uh, not that Nagata didn't do them sometimes anyway, but like I, I really felt like that's why they were doing so many of them. So I don't know if you agree, but... No, that no, that makes complete sense. That's really, that's really felt like kind of... Inoki versus Baba in a way both guys <laughs> being disciples of them uh, he hits a backdrop hold but Kobashi kicks out too which if, you remember, if you've seen how protected that move is now that's it's still a little stunning I, like I can't remember the last person to kick out of the actual backdrop hold 
Did Okada kick out of it in, in the match? Maybe he did. Uh, Maybe it was just a regular backdrop. I, I don't think so. I I don't remember. Yeah. Um, Nagata tries to follow up with another boot to the face, but Kobashi no-sells it and just wipes him out with a short wind-up lariat. Uh, they end up standing again. Nagata just suddenly hits a high kick out of nowhere that Kobashi sells like an instant KO. And again, the when Nagata rolls him over and covers and Kobashi still manages to kick out, like that's such an awesome spot and the crowd really buys it. And it's almost like a New Japan finish happening here in Noah, you know? Mm. And like that, that again, like I think there's like some symbolism there that I really like. Because you don't really see instant knockout kick finishes in Noah like ever. But uh, you would see that kind of thing in New Japan at the time. So I thought that was a, uh, I thought again, that was a very purposeful uh, near fall. Uh, Nagata pulls him back up, but Kobashi suddenly reverses an Irish whip and he hits like almost, almost like the, the, not the Rainmaker, obviously, but that Rainmaker-esque, like pull, pulling short arm Larry that Okada does now. Uh, it was almost the same move, I think. So thought that was, maybe that's where Okada got the idea. Who knows? (laughs) But he like pulls him in and just destroys him. It looks so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, that gets to... Uh, Kobashi hits a brain buster, but Nagata kicks out two again, and then he finally hits another one of the short wind-up lariats, and that's enough for the pin. I don't think... Do people like who, who haven't seen a lot of Noah even realize how rarely Kobashi actually won matches with the Burning Hammer? Because I can pick some, I can picture somebody watching this for this episode and being like, where the fuck's the Burning Hammer, bro? But he really didn't do yeah. it very often. They might think, uh, oh, Nagata's not going to take any head drops. Good for him. <laughs> You're saying, oh, Larry had finished. Good for him. Smart man. I realize I think both guys got slam dunked on their domes like eight times in the match. <laughs> uh, it starts a little slow. I can see, and I can definitely see the critique. I think I've read this over the years. That it's just kind of a head drop fest. But guess what? I fucking love head drop fests. So uh, Kobashi has had better title matches for sure, but I still love this one enough to go four and a half. It's, fu- it's pretty awesome. Yeah, a little slow to start. The arm stuff kind of gets dropped a bit during the match, which, you know, but the the drama in this is just un, unreal. And watching this, I was like, ooh, should Nagata have been the one to unseat Kobashi? Not here, <laughs> but eventually. Because whoever beat Kobashi would have had some, some resentment from the fans. Like, you could have used that and then have him be chased by the likes of uh, Morishima and Rikio if you so desire that might have gone better overall but uh no both guys are uh both guys are great here you know, kind of the, the weird theme of this we all we both picked matches from like 15 to 20 years ago and every match had someone still active today i have no idea how nagata is still like a functioning pro wrestler at this point he's still so, great he's yeah he's still like <laughs> great and like can walk it's like amazing Even the profound beating he took in this match all these you know all those years ago it was just crazy uh just a couple notes. Uh, Nagata had some sick, like fur-lined boots that he had, like a, a strip of fur down the back <laughs> of his boots. Just... I don't know. Cracked me up for some reason. And uh, there was also a little kid uh, crying in the crowd, and they brawled in the crowd. I guess terrified of uh, Yuji Nagata. So bonus points for that. But I'm with you. I'm at four and a half stars. The 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 drama is just like just completely off the charts. It just felt like I was like ah, I'd see a guy like Kobashi, people who can control the crowd so well. This huge Budokan crowd, everyone going nuts. It's just ah. Ah, the good old days. When there were crowds in pro <laughs> That could make noise. Yeah, that, that could make... And didn't have masks on, yes. Yeah, I didn't have to be... Didn't, weren't told just to clap. Uh, but yes. Um, you know, I, it's a... I really like... Like, the part I... In the hobby... 
it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net, arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Didn't remember at all that, you know, I feel like you need to have some background to appreciate is like all the new Japan versus Noah symbolism like that, like that the Enzigiri's and the, the, the knockout kick, especially were just like, they did that on purpose because they are very smart pro wrestlers, but they mm-hmm. it played off of the, the new Japan Noah stuff. So like that, that elevates it to me a little bit more, even than just like, you know, the head drops, maybe uh, they have a nice little interpromotional handshake after, which is, uh, you know, good to see. Putting that New Japan Noah thing aside. Yep, I was hoping Nagata would have slapped him and then shook his hand because I always <laughs> think that's cool. But so be it. Uh, so match number three is your second pick: Tomoaki Honma versus uh, Ryuji Yamakawa from Big Japan on June twentieth, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, I know nothing about late nineties Big Japan, so again, you're going to have to fill in some history for us. Hopefully, uh, obviously, we all know Hanma. Like you said, you're, the theme here ends up being like Russell is still active, and he is still after watching this match, amazingly still active. Uh, and it turned out that uh, JoJo Remy reminded me after after I watched it actually last night that like he 
mentioned this match on his episode, like, uh, you know, like a month and a half or so back. So, I don't know if that's why you picked it, but he did mention on the episode, apparently. No, I, I had picked it because, you know, everyone kind of knows Hanma is this undercard cult favorite in New Japan. And when I first saw him, it was in Big Japan. That was one of the first tapes I got was like, I think a 98 death match they had. And I've always been kind of following his career. He, you know, bounced around to all Japan, Japan. He's been around. And I thought it'd be kind of an interesting look back at a time where, you know, he was a deathmatch wrestler and also a pretty pushed commodity. Because you know, nowadays they'll be like, oh, they may make note, like, oh, he has a lot of scars because he, you know, he did deathmatches way back in the day. I thought it'd be interesting to look back and, and kind of see how that played out. Yeah. It's... And this is like, this is pre CZW invasion of Big Japan, I believe. So it's good. <laughs> and um, yeah, just a. a kind of the early days of the promotion feuding over the, the death match title. Uh, this match was really famous back in the day, right? Because I think even before JoJo mentioned it, like the two competitors sounded familiar to me, like just Homa Yamakawa. Yeah, they had a pretty famous series of matches. There's another one, uh, January 2000, I think, in Kirk, and that's also pretty... But the, yeah, this was kind of stuff that put Big Japan on the map to a lot of... Um, fans in the u.s these, these these matches yeah i mean this is like definitely a blind spot for me because like you know i told my i told my story about when i started with japanese wrestling a million times but i definitely was not uh you know this is a little before when i had started watching and that even though you know i did go back and check out a lot of 90s stuff i really wasn't going back to check out death matches at the time so definitely had not seen this one before uh we start our death match here with a handshake which is kind of funny. It's like uh, Nicole was sitting next to me when I was watching that, and she's like, "Isn't this a death match?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Why are they shaking hands?" And I'm like, "Look, just because they're trying to murder and maim each other doesn't mean they can't be sportsmen about it." So she was very confused. Yeah, it is uh, kind of odd. Uh, just to, to set this up, there were there wasn't a ton of plunder. There were two barbed wire boards and two boards with light tubes, and also kind of the big thing were two bed of nails kind of on two sides of the ring like right outside two sides of the ring which would play in later yeah um it's so they start they fight to the floor and get some some very non-deathmatch like standard crowd brawling that like is you know if you if you just tuned in and you didn't see everything that was going on you know everything that was in the ring that you just mentioned uh you would just think you turned into like a random i don't know like fmw crowd brawl or something yeah, no, this is something you'd see in almost any match these days. Yeah. Kind of a walk and brawl of sorts. Uh, then we get our first big deathmatch spot of the match where Yamakawa reverses an Iris whip and sends Hanma into the barbed wire board in the corner. Uh, he quickly rolls to the floor. Uh, Yamakawa, Yamakawa follows a very, uh, very normal, like pedestrian almost jumping elbow off the apron to a standing Hanma. And they fight in the crowd again, start piling up the chairs, and again, like, very standard stuff here. They also fight over the merch table, where we can see both NWO and DX rip-off shirts. Which is like, wow, very 1999. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then Hanma is now bleeding somehow. I think he bladed, right? It looks like... No, he, he, did a, he did a real obvious... You can see him, like, moving his hand, like, back and forth across his head. Like, it, this is not subtle. Yeah. After he got rammed into the table, it was a pretty obvious blade job. So, he, it's a pretty gory one, too, though, because he's like... Yeah, no, he's bleeding. He hit a gusher. So, Yamakawa hits a tiger driver on the chair pile. Uh, you know, I also, also wrote down the homeowner's bleeding a gusher. There's, like, blood all over the floor around them. 
Uh, Yamakawa, like, quickly kind of shoves his head in the bed of nails on the floor, but they don't do a ton with that yet because it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep building. He puts him back in the ring. Uh, and then one of my favorite spots of the entire match, both guys pick up light tubes and start just circling each other in the ring like they're fucking samurai warriors. It just rules. I mean, like, I don't know. It's a very brief spot, but it's just such a cool-looking spot. Uh, and they both break them over each other, too. So, you know. Um, we do a spot, our first spot teasing Homa going into the bed of nails from the apron, but he keeps trying to hang on. Uh, he manages to get out of danger with a springboard form that actually looks great. Uh, he runs wild with, like, standard wrestling stuff, and he gets a bulldog for two, and then a sick pile driver for two. Uh, this match, I guess not to spoil my final rating, is pretty incredible. And, like, he hits an awesome plancha to the floor right after this. And it's like, first of all, he does more normal wrestling moves than you've ever seen him do in New Japan, even, like, when he was considered really good. And, like, it's very similar to, to the Takeda matches, where, like, they're doing, you know, all this sick deathmatch stuff, and everything in between is just, like, an awesome wrestling match on its own. So... You know, it's like, it has that same kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, so he follows up with a springboard light tube shot, which I just, that was awesome, for a two count. And then he sets up a barbed wire ta- board in between the two chairs. Uh, there's a brief struggle, and then he gives Yamakawa a top rope rana through the barbed wire board, which is just insane. But Yamakawa kicks out again. And then we get, uh, again, one of the most crazy spots in the match. Uh, so Yamakawa is now bleeding a ton as well. They fight out into the crowd again. Suddenly, Homa has a kendo stick on fire on top of this balcony, and he jumps off the balcony and hits Yamakawa with it. Now, after he does that, he immediately rolls him up on the floor. Apparently, this is Paul's count anywhere, and Yamakawa kicks out. So yes, he did... A balcony jump, flaming kendo stick attack, and then he followed that up with a small package, a wrestling pinning maneuver, which is just, it's both funny and awesome. So, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on the, the flaming kendo stick small package? <laughs> I don't really... I don't know why you would jump off a balcony to hit, you could just hit them on the ground and <laughs> not risk blowing out your knees, but I guess... Uh... Yeah, no, that was uh, that was <laughs> immediately into the small package, and it's like, hey, sure, why not? False count anywhere. We, we've crossed a bunch of lines already. We'll cross one more. So, no, that was that was that may have been the most memorable spot of the match, which is really saying something, considering what's to come. Yeah, uh, it is really like it just it, the small package afterwards to me is like the the chef's kiss of it. It just rules so much. Uh, right after that, Halma gives Yamakawa a tombstone pile driver off of the apron through a board cover with two light tubes. Holy shit! I, if anything, just describing that does not do it justice. It is like one of the sickest spots I've ever seen. Uh, and Yamakawa kicks out. Yeah, no, that <laughs> was kind of... What I liked about this match is that you know, when they finally pull out light tubes like Hama's like, oh geez. It's not like the spot where like guys will take them and break them over their own heads, which I hate because it's you know, how... It really takes a lot of the gravitas out of it for me. They really treat the garbage spots with, like, oh, this is deadly serious, and that adds even more impact when they pull out the, the really sick stuff. Uh, and then Homa, like, kicks him twice while he's on the apron and goes for a third high kick. Uh, 
and just basically trying to send him into the bed of nails. But Yamakawa catches his foot, they end up trading positions, and then he, he keeps trying to send Hanma into the bed of nails. And after, like, two baseball slides, he finally succeeds. Now, thankfully, uh, Hanma just kind of very gently falls into it instead of taking a normal flying bump. Uh, I'm sure it hurts like hell either way. And some people I might be like, oh, you should have taken the, the big bump. But I'm like, thank God he didn't. Like, I'm very, very happy for him that he didn't. So, uh, he just kind of, like like I said, gently falls on it. Uh, Yamakawa hits essentially the angel's wings, I guess, right? It's like the elevated pedigree. Uh, they call it an inverted tiger driver. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. The name always confused me when I saw I heard it and then I saw what it was. I was like, oh, that's not what I was really picturing. Yeah. Uh, that gets two. And then he gets a spinning version for three. Uh, holy shit, what a match this is. I really think this is a full five. It's like about as good as you can get for a deathmatch. It's filled with ridiculously sick spots uh, in between sincerely, like, legitimately good wrestling action, outrageous bumps and spots, uh, lots of blood. Like, it's very... If you remember the Takeda matches that, you know, that I think everybody loved, I think it's very similar. Uh, just incredible stuff. I would go the full five stars on this. I'm probably... I guess I have the five-star fear. I'm at four and three quarters because... Crowd brawling didn't really do a, a, a ton for me in that regard, but still, just the yeah, like you said, this match has everything. It has built on a foundation of really good wrestling. It has really six spots. I think the storytelling is very good because the way they treat the bed of nails is kind of like you know the kind of game over spot because Hanma was in complete control until he gets knocked into the bed of nails, and that's pretty much match over after that. And yeah, this has pretty much everything you could want out of a, a death match. It's tremendous, and I'm sure. Hanma's lying in that bed of nails. Uh, I'm sure years later he thinks making hot tags to Togi Makabe is not a bad way to earn a living. But uh, yeah, no, this is uh, this is must see stuff. Uh, but yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Like if you've never seen it, must see is definitely what I would describe it. I mean, uh, it's definitely an awesome match. I don't want to go back and watch their other matches now. Is this is considered to be the best one though? I assume. I think so. This is, I mean, people have very high praise for the other one too. So okay. and I think it's all part of the same file. Okay. So no, it's like the history of Big Japan Deathmatch. It's like on part three. I think it starts it off, so you can just jo- jump right in. All right. Well, and uh, see some more. You might have to do that. All right. So match number four, my second pick, is Ryu Saito, Dragon Kid, and Genki Horiguchi versus Shiba, Naruki Doi, and Don Fuji from Dragon Gate, July 3rd, 2005. Uh, so I picked this, I guess, mostly because we seem to be in a very, like, I don't know, like late ninety, like end of ninety nine through like mid aughts, like kind of period for a lot of our picks. So I figured I'd stick with that. Um, and also, the you know I, I thought it'd be fun to do a, a Blood Generation do fixer match that wasn't the famous Ring of Honor five star match from 05. Uh, this is the Kobe World two thousand five one. I actually wanted to do the two out three falls one that I sincerely think is way better than the Ring of Honor match, but I couldn't find it online anywhere. So what are you gonna do? Had to go with this mm. one instead, uh, but yeah, the I mean, this match is still awesome. It's just it takes a bit to get going, but once it does, I think it really, uh, you know, it really gets going. Uh, yes, it does. But yes, it's like you know the, the blood blood generation do fixer for people who aren't aware. So blood generation was the top heel stable in Dragon Gate in two thousand five. They formed like pretty much at the very beginning of the year, like the first cork in the year after the previous heels uh, Agan Izu had gotten. 
either fired or quit, depending on whose story you want to believe, uh, the end, right at the end of 2004. So basically, uh, Shima took over and formed this new top heel stable. Um, the rumor I've always heard, by the way, I don't know if you've heard this, is that like Shima was going to turn heel no matter what, but he was going to like join up with Agon if they hadn't gotten fired. Like That was, I guess, the idea. Because R- Crazy Max broke up way before... Uh, you know, anything happened with Agon getting fired. So it's not like they weren't, they, they clearly were already going to do something with Shima. So it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Because Crazy Max, I think, they broke up at the end of the Trios League in 2004, which would have been like September, I think. And they were doing that weird Waku Waku Fuji land for like months in the end of 2004 that clearly was not a permanent unit. So, you know, I think they, they were always going to do something with Shima. And, and so that story kind of makes sense to me. But I don't know if you ever heard that one or not. I've not heard that, but like you said, that that does kind of answer a few questions. So very possible. Um, but yeah, they it, it like the few that broke out for the rest of 05, I mean, this is just like you know Shima and Ryu Saito were kind of at each other's throats. Ryu Saito pinned him very early on in the feud, and you know Shima was very offended by that. Um, you know Naruki Doi, meanwhile, was like the Brave Gate champion at this point, and he was feuding with Dragon Kid. Uh, Don Fuji was just generally being a bully and, you know, just bullying lots of people. Mostly young boys, I think, but, you know, he was bullying. He was very much a bully against Genki in this match as well. And then Doofix were just, like, such awesome baby faces. I mean, you had Ryu Saito as, like, the powerhouse guy who would, like, clean house with suplexes. Dragon Kid as the flashy high flyer. And Genki as the, the guy to get the heat with the H-A-G-E chance that the crowd loved doing. So, I mean, they were, like, to me, they're, like, if you tell me, like, what is the perfect... Uh, Dragon Gate trio, I mean, or Babyface trio, like, this is it. Like, I don't think there's a better one, but... No, yeah, that's, I mean, they were just tremendous in their role, and it was kind of like, they were, kind of like the Osaka Pro match, like, the the good guys were all very colorful and all that, and the bad guys all wore kind of black and were mean and rough, so, yeah. again, very basic pro wrestling to figure out. And they had all the, the... I love the exercise gimmick. It was great with Muscle Outlaws, too. And, you know, they kept it going for a long time. But it was just like, we're very mean gym rats, basically. It was like, <laughs> yeah. like we have all these uh, exercise items and, uh, you know, <laughs> just very funny. They started throwing protein powder. I think that was I think that was more Muscle Outlaws with the protein yeah, powder. Yeah, I think that but, more their, yeah. their purview. But Muscle Outlaws was still about a year away at this point. That was coming in 06. Uh, but anyway, so Blood Gen are accompanied by the rest of the unit, including a very young Shingo Takagi. Uh, I just thought, got a little kick out of him there. Um, and as required by law, like I said earlier in Luchiresu, the heels jump the baby faces before the bell, and things break down into a wild brawl. Like at this point, if you show me a Toyuman Osaka Pro Dragon Gate. Michinoku Pro six man with a heel unit, and they didn't attack them before the bell. It's like you you found like the white whale because it's like they always do it. Um, yeah, and Dragon Gate matches, by the way, very hard to do play by play for. So I'll just say the early action is fun. Uh, we get a Doi Dragon Kid pairing, and they you know, like I said earlier, they had like a long Brave Gate feud. We get Fuji and Genki as kind of like the old grumps of each team, and then Saito and Shima, you know, having a cool cool exchange and at one point they just take turns punching each other in the chest which is certainly different for a dragon gate match and i think it was supposed to show like just how fucking fed up these two were with each other by this point i mean they were just like not happy with each other uh so shima breaks one of the workout items over saito's head at some point uh i honestly didn't see which one because it happened super fast did did you happen to see 
I don't know. I thought I thought he had like a loaf of bread or something. I don't oh. know what was happening. Uh, it's like, huh? <laughs> it could have been. Who the fuck knows? They they, <laughs> they, the they, add, they got Baker Yagi back to help him out. <laughs> yeah. uh, that lets Doi get the advantage over him finally, and then Fuji tags in and just chops the crap out of Saito. Uh, but weirdly, this doesn't really go anywhere because Saito, you'd think it's leading to a hot tag or something, but Saito just backs Shima into the corner at some point and DK, uh, Dragon Kid blindly tags himself in. You'd think, so it was just a little weird, but the actual hot tag sequence would come later. And then Genki now finds himself, of course, in the traditional role of getting worked over, mostly by Don Fuji. Uh, he and Shima hold him up and leave him hanging there, like one holding the hands, one holding the feet, while Doi jumps in with a flip senton, which is pretty cool. Uh, but the heat segment overall is far from the best Dragon Gate six-man tag heat segment I've ever seen. More than a little dull. But we finally get the big H-A-G-E chant going. Uh, Genki does his cool little rolling clothesline where he does that like little front flip, which I always like that move. And then he tags out to Saito, and then he and Dragon Kid have an actually exciting hot tag this time, including Saito tossing Dragon Kid onto the top rope to get a top rope run on Shima, who rolls to the floor only to get taken out by a Topekon Hilo by Genki. It looks great. Uh, another dive by Dragon Kid and Doi on the other side. And then Saito and Fuji come in the ring to have this awesome fast-paced exchange. Again, they were doing so much stuff so quickly I couldn't keep notes. I couldn't really take notes on it. Uh, Doi and Shima come in to try to make it three-on-one. Uh, this match really just picks up here. Just it's, From this point forward, it's just awesome. Uh, Doi and Dragon Kid have an awesome exchange, including Doi hitting this one-leg dropkick in mid-air as Dragon Kid springboards in. Uh, if you like the Doi and Dragon Kid stuff, by the way, the Brave Gate stuff from around this time was awesome, too. Uh, Fuji accidentally wipes out Doi with a lariat, which lets Dragon Kid nearly pin him with a springboard Rana. It's a 2.9 count so close, I think the timekeeper accidentally rings the bell. <laughs> but Doi definitely kicked mm. out. Uh, Fuji's lariats are just awesome in this match. It's like one of those things where, like, he wasn't in a lot of these uh, Do Fixer versus Blood Gen tags. So it's like really, that's what is very, like, he brings that something different to the table here with these lariats. Uh, he nearly kills Saito with two more of them before Doi hits the Doi fives and then goes for the Bakatori sliding kick. And then we get possibly my favorite spot of the entire match Dragon Kid of all people, just dives in out of nowhere and tackles him to the ground while after he hits the ropes when he's about to come back for the for the back and tear sliding, sliding kick. Uh, and it just rules because you don't expect to see Dragon Kid tackling somebody or mounting them to throw, like, punches like he's Stone Cold Steve Austin or something. It's like <laughs> he's both, like, so angry at Doi from their feud around here and just, like, diving in and out of desperation. It's such a cool spot. Uh, so I definitely had to. I definitely wanted to highlight that one because it's possibly my favorite spot in the entire match. Uh, so yeah, this closing stretch just absolutely fucking rules, as they kind of all do during this time. Uh, Shima accidentally super kicks Fuji. Our second bit of blood generation heal miscommunication, but Genki is unable to c- cover Fuji right away after the beach break, and Fuji's able to kick out by the time he finally does cover him. Uh, you'd think for all the heal mis- miscommunication blood generation had. They would have uh, lost this match, but they did not. Uh, Genki goes for another beach break. Fuji just instead kind of like power bombs him out of nowhere. It's a great counter. Like instead of just going up for this move, he just like hits his power bomb. Uh, a little hard to describe, but it's really cool looking. 
Uh, Saito, uh, Doi hits the Bakatari, but Saito and Dragon Kid dive in to save. Uh, Shima goes for the Swine, but Genki gets the backslide from heaven instead, but Shima kicks out just before three. Uh, he sets Genki up on the top rope and super kicks him. He hits a coast to coast drop kick and another, and he hits the Swine this time, but Genki kicks out too. Uh, I thought that was the finish so much I wrote for the pin and had to like go back and backspace it on my notes because I just kind of figured that was going to be it. Uh, the crowd starts chanting H-A-G-E again, and then Shima hits the Iconoclasm off the top, and the match splash, finally for the pin. Uh, this match fucking rules. Uh, it, it does take a bit to get going. Uh, the first ten minutes aren't the best you've ever seen, so it's probably not better than the ROH match, but I think it's at least kind of close. I would go four and a half. Uh, and I really love Fuji on the Blood Jed team. I thought he just, like, the way he, he came in and just killed people at Lariat was awesome, so... Just, a, just an awesome Dragon Gate 6 man. It's like all the, pretty much all the Blood Generation versus do Fixer matches are all year, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm four and a half too. This is tremendous. Tremendous action. And uh, also, uh, I really appreciated how just how big underdogs uh, do Fixer felt the whole time. Like all three of them had their turns getting beat up and it was Genki who had the extended uh, peril section. And yeah, the the... Like you said, it's a little tough to do play by play, but the uh, Dragon Rana near fall at the end there was just uh, Chef's Kiss superb at the end. And yeah, this was super. And I also, I wasn't like fully in Dragon Gate at the time, but I could tell through like what was going on in the match that Saito and, uh, and Shima had some genuine issues, which I can always appreciate. You could pick up on things like that without being told about it. Yeah, the, the expressiveness kind of conveys that enough. So yeah, no, this is a, a superb match. Yeah, the punching each other in the chest spot just feels so different from everything else in the match that it really gets across, like, how much these two hate each other by this point, so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, I, w- I want to really reiterate again, because I'm, I'm not sure what got what, what got cut or not. We're having a little bit of technical issues. The Dragon Kid tackle spot is so awesome. <laughs> it's, like, my favorite thing in this entire match. And the fact that he just does, like, the Stone Cold-style punches right afterwards on Doi, it's like, when have you ever seen Dragon Kid do that, you know? It's like again, a great great job of showing like how how like bitter things were between Dragon Kid and Nerky Doi by this point. But uh, all right, so I guess we can move on then to the last pick, which was the fan vote match, uh, the Great Sasuke against Takamichinoku from the World Wrestling Federation, July sixth, nineteen ninety seven, uh, the famous Canadian Stampede show. Uh, you have put up Sasuke versus Magnum. I just figured, okay, I'll put up another Sasuke match. I kind of wanted yours to win, but I should have figured this would win. So Yeah, what's wrong with these people? It was also, like... John, I, ha- oh, I have to correct you. This is the great Sasuke versus Takamichi Noko. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to make sure I, want, oh, I watch the right match here. Yeah. Uh, this Yeah, it really wasn't even close. It was like 61.4% to 38.6. I was really surprised by yeah. how many more people wanted to see this, but what are you going to do? Uh, so this was supposed to be the big showcase for Sasuke, the future star of the WWF Light Heavyweight Division. But for whatever reason, they signed Taka instead, who went on to have a bunch of shitty matches with Brian Christopher, <laughs> who, who like shows up to do commentary. I, so I watched the Raw match the next night, because I was curious after watching this, and he shows up to do commentary there. He calls them fucking... He actually says, like... Uh, it's a very offensive line, so I, I don't know if I should repeat it. He says, these two... You can guess what he said. A slur for Japanese people. I don't care if these two slur for Japanese people kill each other. And even Vince McMahon in 1997, like, calmly just says, they're Japanese. 
<laughs> like Vince McMahon in 1997 does not want to hear that word on on Raw. So I just thought like that correction was just like wow, you were you were too racist for Vince <laughs> McMahon in 1997. That's something. Uh, but yeah, so what does Taki do after this? He feuds with Brian Christopher. He feuds with Kaintai. He joins Kaintai because Mr. Yamaguchi's wife was his sister because all Japanese people are related, you see. And then he choppy choppies Val's pee of course. I don't know. I, that was after he turned, joined Kaintai, I think. And yes, I, that yes. was in 98, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the WWF sure does use Japanese wrestlers well going, pa- going back 20-plus years. Uh, as Akira Tozawa can tell you, very little has changed. But, uh, you know. But yeah, this this match, I guess, there's a couple spots during the match where you kind of get the feeling that, that Vince does like Taka better. So maybe it does kind of make sense that he, he was the one he signed. But I, I don't know this whole story. Do you, do you remember why Taka got signed instead of Sasuke? I don't, but uh, Sasuke, I believe, is just a general pain in the ass in a head case. So it may just been an easier choice. Because I thought Taka looked great in this match. So you'd think, well, we'll, we'll take the guy who's not nuts yeah, and uh, go that way. Uh, so Taka comes out to his soon-to-be iconic music for the first time. Uh, it really is a great theme song. I, I, I believe it wasn't a. It, I don't know if it was a uh, a Jim Johnston one or if it was a uh, you know just a uh, what's it called? Oh no, I think it was just a like a uh, what, what's it called? The music library, right? And yeah, that's why, like public domain kind that, of song. And that's why talk. That's why talk has been able to use it forever. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, it is just a great theme song because it has like that that Japanese beat that start, but just goes into like a whole guitar riff and everything. It is a great theme song, and it makes sense that it's lasted as Taka's theme song all this time. Uh, I wish it had the fuck use and everything that it has now. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, not surprised they had to take that out in 1997. WWF. Uh, <laughs> Vince calls it the light heavyweight division, but uh, interestingly, interestingly, the Fink calls it a World Wrestling Federation Junior Heavyweight Division match. Before introducing Taka. So that implies at some point maybe it was supposed to be called Junior Heavyweight, but Vince changed his mind. Maybe oh, Vince he sh- doesn't like being called Junior, so that, that was going to be a no-go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so maybe the Fink just got it wrong. Maybe he was watching a lot of New Japan tapes at the time or something. But yeah, so it was, it was just kind of funny. So then we get the Adventures in Name Pronunciation. Okay. So Vince absolutely cannot pronounce Sasuke's name, and neither can the Fink. They call it the Great Sasuke. And then, at, right after that, Vince calls him the great, uh, <laughs> like, Sasuke? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, Suki from fucking Jersey Shore or something? Like, what? Uh, but he does go back to his other incorrect pronunciation <laughs> after that. Uh, he also says, let's go to pre-recorded comments from Sasuke. There's no comments. <laughs> and they just uh, don't. <laughs> yeah. They, now, they do show it on Raw the next night, where he uh. speaks in Japanese, and you know, he continues the speaking in Japanese on uh, American programming tradition of only using very, very basic Japanese to the point where I can actually understand most of what he says. Where he's like, like all he says in his promo on Raw is like, I'm the great Sasuke. I'm going to bring a hard fight. Uh, you know, he's like, it's nice to meet you. Like, that's, that's pretty much all he says. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Like, you think he's giving some fucking big speech, but that's it. Uh, you know, it's very, very simple. Uh, we also see Mankind and Triple H fighting around ringside because that's sure going to help these two unknown Japanese men get over. Uh, two big stars having a fight during their, where they're supposed to have their match. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I fast forwarded through that fight. I don't know if you did, but. I, I it, it, it took like 
20 seconds so i'm like oh, whatever but yeah i agree i'm like oh, this is not uh <laughs> this is not helpful uh jr keeps calling taka taka Michinoko. so that's the other one they would figure out eventually that his name was taka Michinoku, but yes Michinoko was the name here uh mm-hmm. king starts talking about enoki versus ali that i thought was funny <laughs> I didn't. Ex- I was like dreading what the king would have to say. I didn't expect an Noki reference <laughs> right off the bat. Noki Ali. I was like, oh, okay. That's a good. That's a good turn. Yeah, he was way more offensive the next night. This night he was like, I'm sure. Yeah, into yeah everyone was. Yeah, everyone was kind of into. Like, I was. Besides the fact they couldn't get either guy's name right, which is you know kind of not great, but uh, I thought the commentary was pretty decent overall in in regards to both guys. Yeah, Jr. mentions Tiger Mask, and Vince, I guess, remembers him. He's like, oh yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the match is kind of slow early. They feel each other out, and Sasuke eventually puts him in a rest hold and a head scissors. Uh, it would have been nice if they did a little more early on, since uh, it was only a ten minute match anyway. But you know, Sasuke throws this huge back kick, but then goes right back to the submissions. A half Boston Crab, but Taka makes the ropes. But things do pick up from there. Uh, Sasuke starts unloading with kicks. Uh, Taka catches his leg and just slaps him hard right in the face. Hits a pair of drop kicks. Uh, you can tell the announcer's starting to get into it, like you said. Uh, Sasuke sends Taka way up and over to the floor. Ridiculous bump that he took. And then he hits this, like, they just call it a martial arts kick off the top rope. I guess <laughs> that's a fine description. It's just like a leaping, you know, kick. I don't know what to yeah. say. It's, <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm sure there oh, is a martial arts term for it, but it's, uh, you know. Uh, Sasuke unloads with more kicks to Taka in the corner, including a really brutal back kick. And then another high kick, and he stands back up. Uh, Vince wants to have to stop it at this point. He's like, damn it, ref. <laughs> stop the, you should stop the match. I can't do it, Vince. Uh, Taka finally catches his leg, and then hits a dragon screw. Uh, he hits a springboard plancha, which looks great. And then Vince McMahon gives a great Vince quote. Do you remember Do you remember this quote? Oh, no. Which which was it? What a samurai warrior this Taka <laughs> Minchinoku <Minchinoko, laughs> is. Taka <laughs> is. Like, oh, my God. A samurai warrior. Mm, they did a lot of jumping onto people. The next, the, the, the samurai, what we have very well known yeah, for jumping, well known on, for their... jumping around. <laughs> the next night they start calling them kamikazes, so I guess this is better, uh, probably. <laughs> They're jumping like kamikazes! And it's like, okay. Uh, Taka lands on his feet from a Sasuke German attempt and hits this great Rana. And you can almost, like I said, this is the part where you can almost hear Vince being more impressed with Taka throughout this match. Uh, Sasuke comes back with a handspring into a back elbow, which looks great as well. And then Asai moonsault to the floor. Uh, Taka catches Sasuke with a great overhead bite ball. He just tosses him. And then a springboard dropkick to the back. Taka hits the Michinoko driver, according to JR. But Sasuke kicks out. And they're very impressed by that move, too. They're like, what the hell is that? Uh, Sasuke comes back with a dropkick to Taka um, in midair. Which, as he leaps in, which gets an ah at a king. Like, king is like, or, or, like a king style. Like, ah! I don't know how to do it, but he's very, like, he, he's very surprised. And then Sasuke hits a thunder firebomb, and then unfortunately kind of weak tiger suplex hole, which is the finish. So, unfortunately, that didn't look so great, but after all the crazy moves they did. But yeah, this is definitely slow to get going, but once it's going, it fucking goes. And, like, I can't even imagine... Like what some of this stuff looked like to a 1997 WF viewer. You can also hear like the crowd too, who doesn't give a shit about this match when it starts. By the end of it, they're pretty into it. So I would go three and three quarters. I thought there was a lot of fun. Uh, too slow early for a ten minute match, but other than that, really, really fun. 
Nemet Four. I liked it a hair more than you. I thought the uh, they're very lucky to have this match where they did because if they just tossed that out on another pay-per-view somewhere they were in canada in front of a pretty jazzed up crowd this was the famous canadian stampede show with kind of one of the kind of the hallmarks of pay-per-view for the company and yeah the crowd was you know didn't care at first but certainly got into it by the end which is always a sign of a good match i thought both guys looked good and just that i keep flashing back to that sasuke kick when taka's like sitting in the corner and he just it was like the most brutal kick i've ever seen like i feel like like pride fights that weren't weren't that bad that was just there was a level of like great high flying and also like some real stiffness and intensity to it too so yeah this is pretty crazy i i didn't see this match live i wasn't really a pay-per-view watcher in 1997 but you know when you see it later on it's it's pretty crazy and if they had kind of gone with this direction for their light heavyweight division and just you know these guys having cool ass matches and you know I, i i do like brian christopher as a performer but you know, when they shoehorn them in, that really did damage to the the whole concept. Their their whole tournament, their light heavyweight tournament, was just a shambles. Some of the people they brought in, compared to who was in WCW at the time, there was always the sense that they they did it because they felt they had to to kind of keep up with WCW. But this wasn't anything they were they were super into, and we all know how it kind of turned out in the end, and uh, continues to this day with cruiserweight wrestling. So there you go. Yeah, not uh... not, not, not a ton has changed, but at least. They get- <laughs> Akira Tozawa's name right, so you know, <laughs> little wins. Uh, so Sasuke on the other, the next night he breaks out the space flying tiger drop on Raw, which like I said, I watched that one too, and you know, the the announcers were not ready for that. They're just like Vince gives a what a maneuver, I think. Oh he's yeah, like, he's like wow, but yeah, uh, you know, the, like I, the, the weirdest thing about watching the two matches is like the commentary is way more offensive on the Raw match, and I don't I don't really get why. But yeah, it's like Brian, you think it'd go the other direction, like Brian Christopher. Like, cool. I was oh, gonna go say Brian Christopher being there, like kind of exit on, I think, because his yeah, whole thing is like he's being the heel and being dismissive, and Jerry Lawler goes with it, and it's like. Whereas during this match, he just seems to be into the match, but you know, it's his son is there bad mouthing them, so he goes with it, I guess. Yep. Yeah. There you go. It is, is kind of weird to go backwards like that, but <laughs> at least we watched the good one with, with the good commentary, at least. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we can wrap it up there, Joe. I know you're very excited to uh, watch the horror show at Extreme Rules tonight. So oh, I can't I mean, wait. But that is a shoot, folks. He did tell me, and I was like, <laughs> "How about Sunday?" And Joe was like, "Well, we have to do it. I just have. I need to be able to watch the horror show at Extreme Rules. <laughs> it looks like such a train wreck." Uh, yep. I'm not. Miss- I'm not missing this live. Like, <laughs> no way. I, I want to watch the horror unfold live before me and be on Twitter and, and have a good time. Yeah close to human reaction as you get these days so uh, i'm not missing out on that so the horror show and extreme rules i just don't i don't did you see my twitter poll i put up by the way i did see it how did it, i did vote like <laughs> yes, yes it'll it's be terrible fun. and i can't wait yeah because it's fun bad uh i i honestly thought the fun bad category would get way more votes than it did like it um just look at where it is now yeah so final results uh 352 votes uh you plan to watch the horror show at extreme rules tomorrow and if so why 25% said yes because it's funny. 4% said yes, it's actually good. 71% said fuck no. So there you go. And I got more people responding to tell me I'm going to watch it because I'm paid to cover this than I did get any people telling me that they want they can't wait to watch it. So, uh, and, right. and at least one person told me they, were, they voted for option two by accident. So. <laughs> well, okay. That's the only acceptable reason to... Uh... 
Yeah. I'm curious if you'd be like, damn, this is compelling stuff here. But I guess I guess they're out there. Yeah. I mean I well, don't see it, but hey, do you do you, man. If you like this stuff, have at it. Yeah. The swamp fight. <laughs> the Jeff Hardy's battle with uh, alcoholism got moved to SmackDown, right? I think. Yeah, so everyone gets to see it, so good. That's you know, good on them. <laughs> oh god. Alright, Joe, give me some plugs here. All right, at the uh, Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, we have the five-star match game, as discussed earlier. It's a pro wrestling quiz show. Every uh, month or so, you three guests, one specific topic. We've done a bunch of things. There's the Dragon Gate episode with John. We've done, you know, a WWF trivia, WrestleMania. We're going to have SummerSlam coming up in August, probably the week of the show. And uh, so that'll be fun. And, yeah, it's all on the uh, Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And Twitter is just at Joe Gagne, G-A-G-N-E. I tweet about things like the horror show at Extreme Rules. So, uh, yeah, check that out. And uh, I thank John for uh, finally having me back on. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Definitely have to have you on again. Uh, yeah, the horror. What a fucking name, too. The horror show I know, at Extreme like, Rules. I just don't like, like, damn, that's good shit. You know, like, <laughs> like who think like, oh, man, yeah, this whole do. I don't know. I mean, who, like, I don't know. We're such a, <laughs> you, have to, you have to sell tickets and I don't know. I, they don't really. You know, they have to worry about ratings more than, I guess, the network. So, whatever. I mean, it'll just try to be weird, I suppose. It's just not working at all, though. What do you think? No, like... no. This is like, <laughs> just throw weird stuff out there and see what happens. It's kind of a unique booking strategy. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, so, folks, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling wouldn't fit. Wrestling didn't fit. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, the joke. <laughs> uh, the upcoming, uh, the next week's, next week's free episode I don't know why I just said that in a weird way. You you threw me off, Joe, by trying to steal my line. <laughs> uh, which I think is the first time anyone's ever tried to do that here in 156 episodes. Uh, yeah, so next week will be the we'll be back to covering current wrestling. Uh, I have returning guest Haley on. She's coming on to help me cover uh, the New Japan Corican from tomorrow. Uh, plus, we're going to talk DDT, which we haven't done in a while. The July 23rd DDT Corican and the Tokyo Joshi Pro. Uh, July 22nd Corkin. So some one-third full Corkin action. Three Corkin shows. Uh, that show will be coming up a little earlier than usual for you on Friday. So definitely check that out. Uh, and like I said, over on the Patreon at patreon.com slash wrestlingomikase we'll be covering, we'll be covering uh, the Sengoku Lord show. So that'll be same day coverage on the Patreon. So that'll be next Saturday. So definitely check that out. Plus the Rob Reed five matches episode if you want more five matches, uh, the Rich Crace, the Adam Farrell, and the uh, Nate from Everything Elite episodes. Tons of stuff on there, so definitely check out our Patreon. In the meantime, folks, thank you as always for listening, and we will see you next time.